You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And we are here with Matt Frazier, who is the author of No Meat Athlete. That's right, No Meat Athlete. Now, in the land of fried chicken, and juicy pork barbecue. It's not every day that you hear somebody that really has a meatless diet. I mean, we grew up with the food pyramid that had protein as the top tier, usually a lean cut of meat like a chicken or beef. And our next guest on the Brand Butters podcast says, you can rethink that top triangle of the food pyramid. It could be healthier choice for you, even if you are an athlete. Now, Matt Frazier is the author of No Meat Athlete and writes the basics of being an athlete on a vegan diet. In fact, Matt says your performance will actually improve, and he's here to tell us about that today. Now, he's perfecting his diet every single day and as an athlete and a dad. So he's got both things in common. This is awesome. He joins us on the Brown Butters podcast now. We are excited. Tell us how we can survive without that thick, juicy steak we dream about. <laughs> well, thank you, Brian Scott, for having me on. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, that's uh, that's what I do. Is uh, And I have a new book out called The Plant-Based Athlete that actually hit the New York Times bestseller list. So that was a huge... Uh, you know, kind of a career goal of mine for, for the past decade or I guess 12 years that I've been doing this. Um, it just, you know, one of those things. So it just, it's been a really neat past five years or so for the plant-based athletes, because we like in the old days when I got started, I mean, even when I did it, it was, it was very strange, even for endurance athletes. And that's, that's, I was a runner. Um, I was trying to qualify for the Boston marathon and I just got this like ethical urge to become vegetarian. It wasn't for performance or anything. Uh, didn't even know what vegan was or anything, but I just, I just didn't want to eat animals. I was, I love my dog too much. And I was like, I just don't want to do this. So, um, I, I started writing about what I was doing because I couldn't find any, any really good, uh, you know, like sites that I trusted or that, that kind of convinced me that I could do this. So I just thought, Hey, I'll, I'll start a blog about this, start talking about what I'm doing. Not, not from any place of authority, just sort of like saying, here's, here's my experiment. Uh, that's what blogs are good for. And, uh, and yeah, so like even then in the endurance community, there were some endurance athletes who were doing it, but it was very, uh, very strange thing. And the cool thing though, like 12 years later, there are, there are Olympic, you know, power lifters and boxers and, and gold medalists and pros and elites. And like, you know, people in the NBA, uh, Novak Djokovic, best tennis player of the past decade, like they're eating hundred percent plant-based diets. And a lot of them are doing it for performance reasons. So it's, it's really neat to see how, what has happened in the past, uh, like really, like I said, the past, past five years, especially it's like, it's gone from this niche thing that worked for endurance sports to athletes in, in some of these strength and speed sports, like, you know, mixed, mixed martial arts and some NFL players, even that they're starting to do it. Uh, so it's really cool to see that happening. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, it, I don't like to say that the plant-based diet is going to automatically make any athlete better. That's the, we, we don't have the data to say that for sure yet. Um, it's cool to see the increasing number of people doing it and, and experiencing success. But for me, what it comes down to is that I think a plant-based diet is, is as far as long-term health goes to me, you can't beat a plant-based diet for disease, disease prevention, maximizing health span, all this stuff. Um, and it turns out that it seems to be prolonging top athletes careers. So if someone like Chris Paul in the NBA was kind of on the, on the downslope, went plant-based and, and now has bounced back to, to having, you know, almost MVP type seasons. Um, so it's, it, I think that's, that's the big benefit that is becoming clear is, is longevity of career. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for just like average Joe's, you know, anyone it's, it's, I think it, it really can help you. I think you can be surprised at how well, um, 
it does work for sports. You know, you lose some weight. Typically, if you're eating whole, whole plant foods, that ha- that's going to help with most sports automatically. Um, and once you put some thought in, it's really not that hard to get get the protein that everyone worries about and the calories and things like that. Certainly, you got to think about it. It's not it's not you just you know eat eat whatever you want. Um, but yeah, it's it's really not as hard as as people think it is. Tell us about that. Like, so it's not just skipping meat and dairy, right? Like, tell us what what a true vegan diet means or what it is. Sure. So like, I mean, in a, in a strict sense, what it means is you don't eat any animal products. So that does involve skipping meat and dairy and also eggs are the other common one. Um, but yeah, you don't, you, you wouldn't just remove those from your plate and, and eat more of everything else that you're currently eating. That doesn't really work very well. People who do that tend to, uh, athletes who do that, they tend to come back a month later and say, Hey, I tried going vegan and it didn't work. I didn't have any energy. And the reason is because if you do it that way, if you remove the most calorically dense foods on your plate, uh, and you just fill in the, the holes with, you know, some extra starchy potatoes or broccoli or whatever, you're not really replacing the, the calories in any meaningful way. So you'll end up, you know, eating 25% fewer calories. And then it's like, no wonder you didn't have any energy because you, you lost a lot of calories. Um, for some people who want to lose weight, that turns out to be a, a nice benefit is plant-based diet is typically not very calorically dense foods. The whole food plant-based is just, you know, there, there's not a lot of calories in what fills up your stomach. Um, so you can feel full, you'll be hungry again later on, you know, fairly soon, but you can feel full, um, without taking in a ton of calories. And that's, that's what works really well. But like for an athlete, what I just, I mean, the typical thing that I would do is like have a smoothie in the morning, uh, with or without protein powder. I don't tend to use protein powder, but a lot of people do like to use, and, and there's plenty now of, of pea proteins and, and my company, actually, we, we make a, a protein supplement as well. Um, like a lot of other companies, um, but like a smoothie with with nuts and seeds and banana and some frozen berries like that's that's a very typical breakfast or some oatmeal if you don't like smoothies you can do it in oatmeal form um lunchtime usually i'm just going to eat leftovers from from dinner could sometimes if i don't have that i'll do like a big giant salad with uh you know almost like a whole can of beans on top uh and, and a dressing maybe some brown rice or something and then dinner is like i don't you know whatever um Often I try to do like a grain, a green and a bean and combine those things, which, you know, doesn't really sound all that exciting, but it turns out you can make a lot of really good things. Like you can make a, a stir fry um, using tofu or other beans. You could make uh, tacos with any kind of beans you want. Of course, that's very, very common. Uh, a lot of pasta dishes, you know, are, are vegan as is, or if you just take off the cheese um, and, you know, there's like, there's tons of these vegan substitutes now, these beyond meats and impossible burgers and all that. And they actually are pretty good. I mean, for as far as that stuff, it's come so far in the past 10 years. Um, so that's not bad. It's just, to me, that's, that's really not health food. Like it, yes, it's protein, but it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of processed. And I'd rather get, get it from personally, like I said, beans, I just eat a ton of beans. Um, but yeah, I mean like, so stir fries, um, you know, curry dish, just a lot of different international type foods that I never ate before. And then once I kind of had to get creative and learn more, I started making a lot of really interesting food. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think people would be surprised if they looked at a typical day. Like it's really, to me, not very, uh, not very strange. It's actually very good. Moving back to how you got started in this, how was that process for you? Was it just like cold Turkey? I'm not going to have meat again. Or did you evolve it out of your diet? How did that, how did that start? If if someone's interested in, in going completely vegan, what would you suggest essentially? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're interested in going completely vegan, then it, it can be worth just giving it a shot, just trying. Cause people, I mean, frankly, not that many people are interested in being completely vegan. Uh, the way that it <laughs> happens, the way that it happened for me was you want to take one small step in that direction. And then it turns out it works really well, or you feel great. And, and then you realize it's not that hard. And then you take the next step in that direction. So for me, like the, the transition from, 
omnivore to vegan, it took like five years because that my goal wasn't to be vegan. My goal at, at first, and this is before, you know, going back even further than I said, um, I was, I was training to qualify for Boston. I was really concerned about protein. And so the way I sort of scratched the itch I had to not eat animals or not eat to me, the animals that seemed most intelligent was I didn't eat cows and pigs. I stopped eating that stuff, but I still ate chicken, still ate fish. And I did that for like an entire year. And basically then there's, there's almost no sacrifice. I mean, yes, there are a few foods you can't eat, but like, as far as an athlete goes, like there was no concerns. I would just eat the chicken for protein. Um, so that was fine. And then eventually I got to the point where that was working great. And I said, you know, like I, I can do more than this. I can go down to just fish. Uh, and so then I spent a month or two doing that. And then I said, okay, I'd like to be fully vegetarian. Like, this is good. I'm only eating fish a couple times a week. And like every time it was just a little bit, like I'll try this next thing and do it for a month or whatever and see what happens. And every time it, it works. So if you have the patience, I think uh, an approach like that is the best way to do it. Um, it doesn't have to take anybody five years to get to vegan. Of course you could, you could do it over the course of two months if you wanted. Um, but the nice thing about doing it in small steps like that is you never have to like, I mean, if, if you're getting started, like the, the thought of like, I can never again have a pork barbecue sandwich, or I can never again have buffalo chicken because that was, those were my foods when I was younger. Um, like that, that kind of thought would have been really hard to deal with for me. And when you're craving it, the thought that you could never again have that doesn't really help you very much in, in kind of getting through that, that little thing. Um, so in, instead it was just like, I'm just going to keep doing this for the, for the rest of the week or the rest of the month or whatever. And then I'll, and then I can sort of reassess. Um, and so it was never about like going all the way, but what it allows you to do with these, taking these intermediate steps is that it means you can go out to a restaurant and kind of practice. You don't have to like, cause it's not that easy. If you go to a regular restaurant to talk to the waiter and say, Hey, can you make me a vegan thing? Or to look at the menu and say, I probably could combine this and this, if you remove this thing and I'd have a pretty good vegan meal. Like that takes some practice to be able to look at something and do that just like meal planning at home and grocery shopping, like all these things. Um, and so if you'd start like halfway, where like now you just don't have the red meat on there or the pork, or when you're going to a friend's house for dinner or a party and you got to like make sure that they're going to have something that you can eat, it's a lot easier to say, hey, can you just like, is there going to be something that's not red meat rather than saying I'm 100% vegan and and I hope that there's going to be something there for me. So like you just kind of learn. And so all that stuff, it just gets easier um, with a little bit of practice. And, and similarly, your body, like if you just go vegan overnight, you're going to be suddenly getting a lot more fiber probably than you used to. Uh, you're likely going to be eating less salt. You're going to have probably less sugar just because you'll be, if you eat more natural kind of whole foods and, uh, and that takes some adjustment. Like your body will, will revolt at first. <laughs> not going to like it. So, uh, doing it gradually just sort of eases, eases that as well. On that note, what are some of your favorite like restaurants or places to eat in Charlotte? Because you look at, you know, organizations or, or places now, there are a lot more options that, that offer not only a vegan side of the menu, but some that are, are completely vegan. Yeah. So I'm pretty new to Charlotte. I moved here in February, um, actually for soccer. My son is playing with the, uh, the Charlotte FC, the new, the new team. He's in their, their, uh, discovery program for kids. So that, that's why we, um, moved this way. And we're so busy with that stuff that we really don't have not gone out like nearly enough. Um, I went the other night to a place called Oh My Soul in Noda area. Uh, that was good. It's, I mean, a lot of it's kind of like vegan junk food, but it's, it's fun to, <laughs> to go have that stuff sometimes. Uh, 
I mean, really, I didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> Vegan junk food. Yeah. All right, I'm in, baby. Right, Let's we, do we this. We gotta know Stop. more about that too. Yeah, I, I guess I should be clear. I I chose vegan junk food items from the menu. There are probably a few that are healthy. Uh, so it's not all oh my, but actually, it's, it's really good. That's awesome, man. Um, well, as a as a former soccer player, I, I have uh, I have season tickets to Charlotte FC. Oh, so cool. hopefully, yes, so he can um, he can move up through the ranks and get an opportunity. Awesome. Uh, I can't wait till we have our first homegrown uh, right here in Charlotte, and that's really awesome that your son's a part of that. I have a three year old and a one year old, and that would be a dream if that happened. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's been so much fun. I I was not much of a soccer player growing up, um, and my kid you know, he just wanted to start doing it, and and so we kind of just went with it and said, yeah, try it, and. And uh, it's been so much fun, like becoming a soccer fan and starting to pay attention to European soccer and MLS and all this. And like, it's just really a cool thing that I, I always enjoyed as a kid when it was World Cup time, but then would like forget about soccer after that. Um, so it's been it's a really fun sport to, to get into. It How old is your son? Enough. He is 11. Oh, so he is like, so here we go. He could be the first true homegrown <laughs> right here. And then we'll bring him on the podcast. Awesome. That, that would be awesome. That's really awesome. Well, welcome to Charlotte, you and your family. It's an amazing city. I've been here for 11 years. I think you'll absolutely love it. And uh, and it's really Thank cool you. to be able to bring somebody like yourself who has not only wrote these books, but has created these companies. Um, tell us a little bit more about kind of the entrepreneurial journey here. Obviously, you are an author of No Mean Athlete, but you also have lovecompliment.com. Tell us a little bit about, you know, hey, I want to know the journey. Like, what were you doing before you went into this and said, I'm going to be able to write a book or, you know, I'm going to start this business. Tell us what that journey was like. And so if there are people out there that maybe find something that they're passionate about and they want to turn that into a career, they can kind of take some inspiration from your story. Sure. Uh, so I was in, I was in grad school actually studying applied math. Uh, this was 2009 and I had gotten my master's. I was working on my PhD. In hindsight, I realized that I was kind of just procrastinating at this point, not on getting the PhD done, but like I just didn't want to go out into the real world. I didn't want to go out and get a job. I didn't want to become a teacher, nothing against teachers. I just didn't want to, it wasn't for me. Um, and so I was like, kind of just like hanging out in school until I could think of a business to start. Cause I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I figured it would be a, a math thing. Uh, but that's when the, this, this whole like urge to become vegetarian happened. And I was doing the running thing and I couldn't find any information on it. So I, I said, well, I'm just going to start blogging about this. And I had heard from just different entrepreneurial kind of interviews and things I followed that if you did, this was 2009, it's a little bit different landscape back then on the internet. But um, they said, if you just write a blog post every day for like 60 days, you will have enough content on the internet that Google will start to find you. And you'll probably also have made some, some fans, people who have randomly, you know, friends or whatever will have, will have found you just, and you'll have started building a platform. And so that was really exciting to me because it didn't seem like any risk. And I was in no position to take financial risk. And I would have been afraid of it to get any sort of loan or whatever to start a business. Like that was scary. Um, but this was like, wow, I don't have to just put my time into this and start writing and I can build a platform. And then I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have any business model in mind. And I thought maybe people would one day want no meet athlete t-shirts, uh, which it turned out they did. And that was a, a fun little thing. It was not a, a way to build a business, but it was a, a, a first product to sell. Um, but so my thinking was like, if I just have a platform, people who trust me, and this is as true today as it was then, if you have a platform, people who, tr who trust you, then, you know, making the business out of that is not going to be a problem. You will find a way to, to monetize eventually, uh, and, and do it in a, in a good way that feels good. And that adds value to those people. So I just did that for a while, um, started like getting Google traffic for very specific terms. And I started thinking like, I can do more with, with this traffic. So I started writing little eBooks about large, you know, that expanded on the topics that these people were, were showing up to my site for. Um, 
and started selling those for seven and $17 always ended in a seven. That was the, that was the thing for some reason. Um, and so then, you know, it started making a little money and like eventually got to where I was like covering my mortgage with it and it just sort of took off. So it was only like two years from the, the first blog post to the time I, uh, ended up dropping out of grad school, quitting the PhD program and, uh, and, and doing blogging full-time, which, which you can imagine my family, uh, was thrilled about that. I, that I quit my PhD in math to, to do blogging. Uh, <laughs> but it, and like, you know, I did that. I started a podcast back then too. And we still have one. It's called No Made Athlete Radio. Uh, so we were very early in the podcast game, which helped obviously. Um, and like, you know, eventually started having a literary agent got in touch and then I found a publisher and, you know, then other books and then people started asking me to speak. And it was weird. Like I kind of became like, I was not an authority in this stuff at all. Um, I, I really was just a kid experimenting with it, but then I actually did qualify for Boston six months after I went vegetarian and started this blog. Uh, and I had probably 500 or a thousand people were subscribed to it by that point. So then once I actually did it, the, the conversation started to shift. People started to, it was no longer this like weird experiment. It was now this thing that had worked and people wanted to know how I did it. Um, and so I, you know, wrote a, a guide to running your first marathon on a plant-based diet. And it just, it just kind of naturally shifted from this experiment to, to being, giving information that people wanted. Um, so anyway, so that, that was the journey for a long time was just about digital products, information products, sometimes like affiliate marketing, where you'd promote someone else's thing and get a cut. Um, and then about four years ago, I met a guy, um, who, who had a venture capital background and he said, Hey, we should, we should start something bigger with this. So at that point we launched a supplement company, uh, which is called complement. And, uh, we really, we make supplements that are designed for people eating plant-based diets to really give them the things that are, that are missing from the diet. Um, and now we're kind of getting into the sports supplementation stuff and all that. So, uh, that's been a really neat thing that that business has grown much faster than, than no made athlete did. Uh, but it only did so because we we had built all this trust. So the same same theme from the beginning. If you have people who will trust you, um, you know, finding a business model is not going to be the problem. So that's that's the journey. You know, took took lots of books, um, lots of speaking, tons of blog posts, podcasting. But uh, I don't know. I just I think it's really cool how the internet has has made that a viable thing that you can just give and give and give, uh, and and you know, eventually you'll, you'll be able to monetize it. And it, it's cool. I don't know. It just has, has felt very good to, to build an audience that, that uh, appreciates and trusts what, what we've done. Writing a book seems like a daunting task, like from, <laughs> from start to finish, what was your kind of timeline there? You know, for my very first book, um, I think it was like a, about six months of like writing time. Mm -hmm. And then it, then it goes into the editing and all this other stuff. And then they make the cover and all and that stuff takes its own year to get done um but what's kind of easy about it was having written a blog um i at that point probably had 300 blog posts and i could yeah. just use a lots of those i mean you have to change them obviously you're not trying to publish the exact same thing that's on the internet but like you can already use a decent percentage almost verbatim some of it uh because if i've written an article about protein that was exactly my best thoughts on protein then you know you're going to put those same ideas in the book so that actually made it really kind of easy to to lay out a structure and say like, okay, I already have this 80% of the content. I just need to rework it to make it go into a book. And then I need to write a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it was, it was still hard. I still had the, the normal procrastination and it was this mammoth task for a while. Um, I had a, I got a partner and accountability guy to sort of a friend of mine um, to, I would like have a little Google spreadsheet and every day I would go put a little X or something uh, to say, if I wrote whatever I was supposed to write that day, 500 words or something that I had a little thing. And if I didn't, 
do it, then I was going to pay him $20. And then once, once or twice, I had to PayPal him 20 bucks because we had this deal. Uh, so that helped too. That's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, then, in the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that could be useful. And then the other books, the, the next two, one of them I worked with a chef and I had a co-author on this most recent one too. So those, uh, the writing load was definitely somewhat easier because it was shared with, with someone else who was helping me out. I love that. So you mentioned the, the word content and, you know, we created our podcast almost four and a half years ago. And one of the, um, the, the crazy statistics that we were told before we started our podcast was that the average podcast lasts four episodes and then it's done, right? We're about to drop yep. two fifteen. Um, <laughs> the reality, That's awesome. thank you. The reality of it is, is that people aren't committed to creating great content without getting immediate results. We live in an instant gratification type of world. People want to be Insta famous. They want to have a million followers. They feel that they can then monetize anything and take this water bottle and say, look at this and get paid for it. And it's, it's not the true definition of what success is. Success is falling in love with the journey, falling in love with the process, falling in love with the hard work. And by doing that and creating great content and doing something that you love, you'll ultimately be super successful. I want to hear from your mind, you know, what, what does it mean to create great content and what advice would you give people when they're trying to do that? You obviously had someone that said you need to write 60 blog posts in 60 days. I honestly think if you told a hundred people in a room to do that, you might have 20, you might have 10 that actually do it, right? Because they'll get to 20. And I don't know, you know. So what, what is your advice on that? Because you've created 60 blog posts, which then continued to turn into a podcast, into a book now into multiple businesses. It's just fascinating. And I think that's what people want and social media and the internet have given you that opportunity, but a lot of people aren't committed to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, it, these are great points. I love this topic. Um, I have talked, I have sort of coached a ton. I mean, I don't know, probably five, 10, 15 friends or family members who said who, they saw what I did and they were like, Hey, I'm going to start a podcast too. And so I started giving them all the best advice I could give. Same with blog, did, did the same thing. People who wanted to start that. And I, I think probably one of them ever actually published an episode because they, people, people will start, I think it's, it's fear. People are afraid of actually hitting publish and saying this is out there for the world to see uh there's this idea that like we're going to build up all this content and this backlog of episodes that are good but then finally when we're ready we're going to start releasing them into the world once we have this good backlog to me that's that is just procrastinating um out of fear uh my best advice is actually just just get started like publish even if you have no plan publish that first thing so that someone can tell you why it sucks because it's going to and like you're going to be terrible for the first six months that you're doing whatever you're doing if i listen to my old podcast episodes oh my god i mean they're cringeworthy it's awful dude yeah. 100%. Uh, listen to ours <laughs> i listened to our first one a couple weeks ago and i was like what in the hell were we doing yeah uh, it mean, has gotten so, better yeah but it doesn't matter because because no one's listening then anyway so like that, and that's that's how you the only way to get good is go through this period of sucking and that's that's how it works uh you're you're never gonna just get good by building up this private backlog of episodes. You you put them out into the world and you 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 know gradually start to uh, pick up speed and and eventually you know people who who are gonna like your thing they'll find you. Um, I think there's a there's a marketing author named Seth Godin who actually I'm very lucky to to have been mentored by him. Uh, and he he has this concept called the dip where he talks about like in any sort of big new project you're going to hit this thing. It might be two weeks in, it might be three months in. You're going to hit this period where 
the novelty and the motivation that was there at the beginning has has worn off, but you haven't yet put in enough effort or enough time to start to see the the you know the the ramping up of of the traction and people getting into it. So you don't get motivated. So you're going to go through this spot where it's not any fun because it feels like no one's listening still or no one's reading. Um, and, and you're not, you know, you're past the point where that initial motivation is done. And he says, like, you should realize this at the beginning. And if, and if you're going to stop at that point, then just don't start at all. Like it'd be much smarter not to waste the effort to get to this certain point where it's guaranteed to happen, where, where it just feels like you're talking to nobody and you've put in all this work uh, and it doesn't feel like you're really close. He said, so like, um, if you're committed to get through that, then, then start. But if you're not, then just, just don't bother. And for me, that's what I think with the 60 posts in 60 days was, uh, it, it helped me at least when I hit, you know, 20, 30 days in, and it still felt like a few people were reading, but almost, almost nobody really. Um, I had that in my head. It's like, at least I just going to get to that thing. And then I can quit if I want and, and, you know, feel like I didn't fail on this. I, I sort of gave it a try. Um, so anyway, so I think, you know, to, I would say, think about that, decide ahead of time that you're willing to get through the period where it's not any fun. Um, and then, and then really just start like that is the most important thing is just start. No one's listening. No one's paying attention now anyway. So get started, get through the period as soon as you can of not being good. Um, but you have to go through it. It's just, it's just going to happen and you'll never get through it if you don't actually begin publishing stuff. So far for you, what's been most rewarding? Um, that's a great question. I think, uh, for me, it's been like the freedom that it has allowed me, not, not so much like financial freedom. Cause that's, you know, I'm still, we're still working on that part. Uh, <laughs> Always. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, uh, just being able to know that when I wake up in the morning, I can, I can do what I want today. And, and I mean, in a working sense, like I can work on the things that I want to today. Yep. Uh, that's been, that's the part that I just could not deal with when I was trying to do like a regular job before I went back to grad school. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I just, I just did not want someone to be my boss. Uh, it wasn't so much that I couldn't stand a boss. It was that I just didn't, I just didn't want to work on things that, that for me weren't really exciting. And I couldn't imagine how this was going to move the needle for me. Um, so I think that, that the freedom of just kind of being able to work on the things I want, that's, that's the most rewarding. Very close second to that is, is how much good our stuff has done in the world. Uh, it's, it's cool to have, have this thing, you know, like I, when I got into being vegetarian, it was this personal decision. Uh, it was, I, I had no thoughts of like trying to spread this message. Like I really, that was not my thing. I, in fact, I was kind of afraid of turning into someone like, cause I, I did not like the people like on college campuses who would, who would, you know, sort of make you feel bad for not being vegetarian, handing out flyers and things. Nowadays I have sort of an appreciation for them, but back then uh, I just did not want to become that. And I was concerned that if I went this way, like that was like a necessary part of it. You had to become uh, an activist or this evangelist for the cause and, and kind of pressure people or make people feel badly for doing something different. So I, I did not want to be that person all from the beginning. Um, my stuff has always been like, I, I don't ever tell people they should start eating this way or ever get into ethics and say that you're wrong for eating meat. Um, I just say like, Hey, this has worked really great for me. And here's a bunch of tools that I have developed or have and advice I have. If you are interested in doing it, it's here, but I've never considered it my job to try to convince anybody that they should. Uh, and so it turns out that attitude has, has created a really neat audience of people. And it's, and it's enabled us to actually really make change, um, help a whole lot of people uh, start eating this way uh, or continue eating this way or better versions of this way um, without ever having to say like, you know, this is what you should do and you're wrong for not doing this. It, it's felt really good to make the change in that way without having to have any sort of like high pressure sales pitch. 
So tell me about your uh, your family specifically. Do they all follow the same you know vegan diet? I know you had mentioned uh, you have young. I think you have two young sons. Is that correct? Two young I have a son and a daughter. A son a daughter, and daughter who's son. also a soccer player. Yeah, awesome. She's younger, awesome. But she's- so so you have two young athletes. Tell us. Are they um, are they practicing the same thing from a plant based diet? And tell me how that works from a from an entire family standpoint. And and how did that kind of transition go? Was it you first, and then they kind of followed? Or did you guys kind of all go on that journey together? Yeah. So uh, when they all they all do eat one hundred percent plant based now, just like me. Um, when I started, it was just me and my wife. Did not even have any kids. Uh, she she decided she wanted to do it with me. This was when we were vegetarian, not yet vegan. Um, and so we did that. And then we had my son and he was, he was vegetarian from, from birth. Um, he, we, I think our, his pediatrician said, just keep him drinking cow's milk, whole milk. Uh, so we did that for his first year. Cause like I said, we were not vegan either, but then we went vegan and, uh, you know, he was at this point where he was, he, he could not be drinking so much milk anyway now. So he, he became vegan at that point. Um, and my daughter's been vegan ever since she was born. So, um, it's, it's really been great. Like, like it's, it's not, uh, I don't know. A lot of people worry about that. And of course, like I've done plenty of research and made sure that we're making healthy choices because I don't like for me, I can do an experiment and just whatever, screw up my own health. That's fine. But uh, I, I could not do that to my kids. So I'm, I'm extra careful with um, making sure they get everything they need. The big challenge with kids who are athletes and very active is not protein. It's it's calories. Uh, like I said, plant based diet. If you're if you're not eating the junk food of it, if you're eating the, the whole foods, there's just not a whole lot of, uh, of calories. There aren't dense calorie sources. I mean, there's some nuts and seeds and you can, you can do it. Um, but that's sort of the, the challenge is that like all the time I'm thinking like, how can we make sure they, they eat enough for breakfast, lunch, and dinner snacks in between never go like three hours without eating. You know, I just try to like make sure they're constantly getting it. And probably, I probably worry about it more than I need to, uh, you know, you probably could just let them eat when they're hungry and they'll be fine. But as athletes, I just don't want them to uh, you know, fall behind or, or, you know, be smaller than the other kids, which is going to happen anyway. Some, you're not going to necessarily be the biggest kid. Um, so like, that's, that's what I think a lot about is, is their food and getting them enough calories. Of course, you know, we could always take the op- the, the route of just start feeding them the, the beyond burgers and the, and the processed stuff. Uh, it's very easy to do that nowadays. And it's cool that you can now and then, but, uh, I'm trying, you know, long-term health, very important to me. So I'm trying to make sure that they, uh, they do it right with with good whole foods lots of fruits and vegetables beans nuts and seeds grains all that stuff i have a cousin that's almost is my dad's first cousin he's like 85 and man he's been a vegan for 30 or 40 years and <laughs> he looks like he is 55 like he has oh, yeah. he hasn't aged a bit and he's in great health and uh, it, it truly is amazing. And he's a lot of walking, living, breathing example of, of what you're sitting here describing. Um, that's awesome. It takes a tremendous amount of discipline though. And I think it's just my opinion. A lot of folks don't have that discipline, but I'm super curious. And uh, obviously I think we can all do better, uh, just from a health eating standpoint, eating the rainbow, so to speak, which your website is beautiful. I was scrolling through it and it's just, so full of color because it's all different types of vegetables. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. You yeah, you've done a great well, job you. on that. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. Yes, um, it's yeah, I think it, it does take discipline, but I think it doesn't. Once once you're into it and you're doing well with it, and like you're seeing the benefits and you're starting to experience this, a lot of people feel more energetic and uh, just different random like little little ailments disappear often, which is not not scientific at all. I'm not trying to say that that automatically sure. happens, but you just hear it all the time from people who go plant based. They say, yeah, like this thing went away or this knee pain, it's just stopped. Um, 
who knows how much of that is true, how much of it's placebo, what, but there's a lot of anti-inflammatory compounds in plant-based foods. This is why athletes probably are choosing it. They recover faster. Um, they, they claim they can get more workouts in than the, than the competition can because of so many anti-inflammatory compounds in these foods, um, as well as like the nutrient density, not, not a lot of calories, but nutrient for sure. They're, they're all over the place in plant-based foods. Uh, so like, as you start to feel that and see that, I think after a few months or a year or two, like then it doesn't really take a lot of discipline anymore. Um, like I said earlier, like your, your body does change the things you crave that changes over time. Um, and after, after two years, like, I don't, I don't, I don't miss Buffalo chicken wings or, or pork barbecue sandwiches anymore. I remember enjoying those things, but it's not like I, I constantly fighting this urge. And nowadays, honestly, with the, with the vegan stuff out there, uh, you can, you can kind of replicate it, not the exact same thing, but you can, you can kind of, again, scratch that itch if you need to. So when's the children's book coming out? The vegan children's book. Come on. I know you I got, know. I, you, yeah, you, come on, let's do it. Why not? I mean, why not? I think it would be pretty cool, man. Well, and that, that almost happened. I, we had the, our second book was called the no meat athlete cookbook. And I was talking to the publisher for a long time about making like the, the, the kid version, the family funny for young athletes. Um, and we, we've definitely developed a bunch of things, recipes and, and techniques and things at home, uh, just for feeding our, our two soccer players. So, uh, yeah, maybe one day. That's awesome, man. Well, before we wrap up, tell us the, the best way for people to not only get in touch with you, but to follow the journey, uh, where they can find your latest book. Give us all the uh, all the hits here. Sure. Yeah, most of it is at nomadeathlete.com. Um, if you go on Instagram, we have nomadeathlete underscore official, and I have a personal account there. It's real Matt Frazier. Um, so that's that. And then and then the the supplements are called Compliment, and that's, uh, that's lovecompliment.com, compliment with an E, not an I. Uh, and then the newest book is the plant-based athlete. You can get it in just about any bookstore, uh, of course, of course on Amazon, um, any other website too, but, uh, but yeah, it's in Barnes and Noble and several independent stores around here. Uh, so yeah, check that one out. I love awesome. it, man. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. If you are listening, please like, share, comment, go check out No Meat Athlete. Really cool. Uh, I learned a lot on this podcast, a lot of things I had no idea about. And I think it's really neat that you started out this entire journey with 60 blogs in 60 days. And if that doesn't you know, encourage you to, to take the leap, it, it doesn't take that long to start. Uh, the biggest problem is just starting and continuing and being consistent. And Matt, you've definitely done that. You've been a great role model, obviously, for your kids. I hope to one day to watch your uh, your son play for Charlotte FC. That would be really, really <laughs> cool. Too. And uh, my son was just at Soccer Shots yesterday, my three-year-old. The first, oh, nice. the first 10 minutes was... Uh, was was difficult you know he, <laughs> yeah. he, he wasn't, i remember that we he, did soccer shots yeah he wasn't showing me that we had like the messy tendencies here so <laughs> we're gonna have to uh, really get to work but no matt in uh, in all seriousness thank you so much man um congrats on on what you've been able to accomplish and uh it's a, a pleasure to welcome you to the city to our community i look forward to meeting you in person and uh we wish you the best of luck uh, in the future with no meat athlete and with uh with love compliment definitely thank you thanks for having me on i appreciate it Yes, sir. Thank you. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.